HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. If you're a farmer in New York State, join the New York State Grown and Certified program to let people know your food is grown right, right here. Learn more at certified.ny.gov. I'm Erin Fairbanks, host of The Farm Report. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Do you like ham and eggs? If you do, this episode of Tech Bites is for you. morning, Heritage Radio Network listeners. If you have been on with us since earlier this morning at 10 o'clock, we have an extra special treat for you. Staying in the studio, we have Erin Fairbanks, who is your host from the Farm Report, which was up at 10 o'clock. She's doing kind of like a double header today, which is exciting. We're very happy to have her in the guest seat in the studio. She kind of got up, walked around the table and sat down. <laughs> Uh, I, I welcome, Thank but you. you were here when I got here, so <laughs> thanks for staying. Anytime. <laughs> she is also Heritage Radio Network's executive director, and she also works with Heritage Foods USA, which is the founding inspirational parent sort of company starter of Heritage Radio Network, and we're going to get into that a little bit later. Um, we have a great show about ham and eggs today. First up, we're going to be talking about the eggs. And on the line from Denver, we have Austin Johnson. Hi, how's it going? It's going pretty good. Thank you for joining us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So as usual, we start off every episode of Tech Bites going around the room talking about apps that we like, old favorites, new ones we've discovered. And since Aaron really doesn't get to talk about tech much on her show we'll let her talk tech first what's yeah i know you're very app savvy although following your social media you've been having some troubles with your iphone <laughs> i have been yeah i've been under the black crowd black cloud of like iphone destruction so definitely doing my my annual donation to i Apple is, is higher than normal in 2016, but what are you going to do? Um, I am going to revisit, actually, it's not a new app, but it's an app with a new feature that I have been playing around with, and it is Instagram. Um, earlier this summer, they introduced a new kind of story feature 
um, that is, you know, primed to compete with Snapchat. Uh, it's more kind of ephemeral. You post short videos or photos with text overlays um, or, you know, emoji overlays that disappear within 24 hours. And so it was really going back and forth um, for the radio network, whether it made sense for us to launch our own kind of Snapchat account, but being a small um, nonprofit felt like, man, I don't think we can really manage a whole other social media feed. Um, and then Instagram stories emerged and allows us to kind of explore kind of storytelling in that same way via a platform that we already have like a really nice audience on. So I will say um, it is not as much fun as Snapchat. It does not have all the cool kind of um, filters and features um, and kind of share things that I love about Snapchat. But it has been really interesting for us to give a little bit more of like a behind the scenes take. And if folks are tuned in, I'm going to do a little bit of a behind the scenes scan of the studio right now from the Heritage account so you guys can take a peek at the woman behind the mic. And Heritage on Instagram is? Heritage underscore radio. Very nice. Well, I'm glad I have a a clean t-shirt on today. Yeah, thank you for that. (laughs) (laughs) You never know in this day and age. I mean, we're under the cover of radio, but we are actually talking about um, live stream and periscoping and doing some video while we're on the show. So stay tuned for that maybe later this fall season. Hey. <laughs> Hello, Instagram. Hi. Another, th- <laughs> Another thing about Instagram that I was just thinking about um, this morning when I was looking around, Tech Bytes at Tech Bytes HRN is our Instagram feed. I'm thinking about shifting it from a personal account to a business account because it is the account oh, for the yeah. show. And that also is a new feature with the recent Instagram update. I would recommend it. We did that. We made that switch about two months ago. And I think the primary benefit is you get some really great analytics. What I don't know. You is also get the contact button. Yeah. Is, and the contact button is nice. But I, would, I don't know how it impacts you know, the frequency with which you show up in feeds because via Facebook, I know, um, it really feels like businesses are in this very kind of like boxed in pay to play space. Um, and Instagram has already made the change of like, not just posting things chronologically, but working off an algorithm. And I do have a small concern that identifying as a business puts you into a different algorithm category that may not be where you want to be. Interesting. I don't know. Okay, well, stay tuned. That'll be a a work in progress also. David, do you have an app for us this week? And that's David Tadasori, who is our engineer and the Heritage Radio Station Manager, who turns this lovely shipping container chat into broadcast radio. I turn the crank. Yeah. I make the electricity happen. Mission control. Yep. Um, yeah, you know, I'm kind of kind of running out of apps. I use like three apps in my daily life, and I think two of them are made by Google. But uh, I'll give you the other one. Uh, I use this <laughs> app called uh, Double Twist on a daily basis. It's just a music player. Um, nothing fancy, no bells and whistles, just how I keep my music organized. Again, I'm an Android user, so I don't have the ubiquitous iTunes on my phone. So this is what I use. Okay, you always come through with music apps. I'm a music guy. Okay. Well, (laughs) see, the apps segment is exciting because not only do we get to potentially discover new apps for our own personal use, 
but it's also a nice insight into people's, you know, private lives and their personalities and a little bit of what makes them tick. Slice of life. Exactly. Austin, do you have an app that you really use a lot or a new one you've just discovered or maybe an old favorite that's been sitting on your phone ever since you got it? Absolutely. I'd love to share one. Way off topic, but if, as long as that's okay. I'm a pretty big-time fantasy football nerd. I love playing fantasy football, love the numbers, love the analytics of it. And there's an app out there called SleeperBot, which is actually an algorithm that some people made that looks for news, emerging news on Twitter and various uh, news outlets. And the goal of the app is to get fantasy football-related news to its users absolutely first. Even if it's just by a few seconds, that can be the difference between uh, an advantage and a disadvantage in a fantasy football league. So it's one I've been using probably way too much lately. So spell that for us. Sleeper bots, S as in Sam, L-E-E-P-E-R-B-O-T, sleeper bot. And is it a free app? It is a free app. For both Android and iPhone? I'm not positive it's for Android. I use it on iPhone, but I'd assume it's for Android as well. Well, if it wasn't, that would give iPhone users a really competitive edge. Advantage, yeah. advantage in the <laughs> fantasy could, football arena. <laughs> so my app this week is called Pocket. And it's new-ish. I mean, it wasn't from the first round of app releases. It's been around for a little bit. It allows you to save articles um, and things to read online in an offline native folder on your phone. And given everything that's happening in the world today and all the you know rapid news cycles and different things, there's a lot of articles that I come across in social media, online, in my news app that I want to read. But I'm trying to moderate my cell phone use. So I find that by saving all the articles I want to read in pocket and then reading them all later on the subway or sitting down, you know, in the evening and saying, now I'm going to do all my reading. Somehow I spend a little bit less time on my phone because then I don't get in the rabbit hole of, oh, and then I'm going to click on this and I'm going to click on this related story. So it helps me kind of focus and also uh, gives me an opportunity to read a little bit later in the day. So pocket, it's free pretty good. It'll also start to recommend articles for you if you want. Um, but it's pretty handy right now, especially when we're in a, in a time of year where there's lots of stuff happening. <laughs> so Austin is on the phone with us today. Um, he is the egg portion of our ham and egg show. I am an advisor and a mentor for a food tech accelerator in New York City called Food Future Inc., and that is how I came to meet Austin and learn about his company, efowl.com, E-F-O-W-L.com. And it's a, I'm going to let him describe it. It is a platform for heritage breed poultry in the U.S. And while we know a lot about tech platforms and helping small businesses sort of take their business into the 21st century by providing them with uh, all the kind of digital tools that they need to do business today. What we're not really experts in on this show are heritage breed agriculture, which the lovely Miss Fairbanks certainly is. So we appreciate her stopping by to sort of have a B 
be the be the other half of the uh, e-file conversation. I can sort of man the tech side, and she can take on the chickens. Can I can I say bird's eye view? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> How long have you been waiting to say that? Well, you know, saving. I got. I may, I may have some other gems in here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you should um, handwrite that on some sort of emoji thing on the story for Instagrams. Um, so, Austin, your company. Just really, eFile just really went live very recently. Well, we've been in business for about seven years, functioning as a retailer. We basically would go to hatcheries around the country that produce heritage breed and pasture raised poultry. And the original idea actually came based on a Thanksgiving table conversation I had with my aunt, who is a farmer, a small farmer, and I asked her if I could make a website for the small amount of, to sell the small amount of poultry she produced, which she normally just sold by a newsletter and word of mouth. Uh, she raised some heritage breeds of waterfowl, and lo and behold, there were a lot of people online looking for those specific breeds, so the website got some initial traction right off the bat, and the retail site eFowl was launched. Now, we, we would market for a handful of other hatcheries and small farms which produced this type of poultry. Uh, but then we realized, hey, we really need to give these marketing tools, these small business tools, these order management tools to the small farmer that's in this agricultural niche because they have a specific set of needs and, frankly, don't have the technological resources or the time to just go out and solve their own problems. And while there's so many software tools out there for so many different spaces, the, the small poultry farmer really has a specific set of needs. So we decided to take what had been working for us over the past seven years and turn it into an e-commerce marketplace where any approved poultry farmer can have access to a wide range of customers and, you, and basically make an online store, write a profile of their farm, say what their catalog is, show the availabilities, and connect directly with customers. So about two weeks ago, three weeks now, we released uh, the MVP of our e-commerce marketplace uh, so that we can have any small farmer who's approved in this space have access to our customer base and have access to a uh, nicely done professional websites and the order management tools and the marketing tools, et cetera. So I have a couple of just quick questions on the tech side, and then I'm going to sure. um, let Aaron ask some questions. So you talk about the specific needs of poultry farmers, uh, what they would need in terms of online commerce. Tell us what that is that a, you know, Squarespace, you know, commerce mm-hmm. shop website setup would not facilitate because, I mean, they're, you know, online platform, ordering pictures of stuff, mm-hmm. taking taking orders, taking money, taking transactions, you know, following mm-hmm. things. I mean, does it really matter if you're shipping a chicken and egg or a cookbook or a pair of socks in terms of like the, in terms of the customer uh, interface online? I, yeah, I think the, 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 it's not that it's groundbreaking technology. It's really just adding a few additional features that really cater to that farmer. One example of those features that's not going to come from just a, a Shopify site out of the box is uh, what I like to consider inventory projections. So you need to sell against inventory that's going to be produced in the future that's produced on a certain date. It's almost like a movie ticket in that regard. So on one certain week, you ha- might have 
a thousand Rhode Island Reds to sell, and you need to sell those that week. They, they need to be sold that week. And so you need to have the ability to list inventory that's going to be tied to a date well into the future and sell against that inventory. That's one example of a feature that we didn't really find it existed specifically in the context that we needed it. So that was one of the things that we developed in a customized format on an existing shopping cart. Hmm. Another feature Go ahead. Go ahead. Another feature another feature that we found that didn't really exist. Uh, and it's I'm starting to see similar manifestations of this, but it's the concept of you need to fill the shopping cart with a certain amount of products for the order to be viable. Thus, you can't just go order one chicken or one egg. It's not economical. It's sometimes not a safe shipment. You need to make sure that certain minimums are met, and you need to be able to combine certain types of products into a fill-the-box or fill-the-cart or fill-the-basket kind of context. And that was another feature that we didn't really see in an out-of-the-box e-commerce sense that we developed in a customized format. So we can actually have a user interface that walks a customer through the process of saying, okay, I want five of this chicken or 10 of these eggs, and then I also need to make sure that I have an additional 10 eggs to fill out the box and make sure that this is an economic shipment, economical shipment. So do you find that the uh, farmers that you're working with are technologically savvy in terms of they know what kind of things they need and then they find this and it's pretty easy for them to plug and play? Are you Or are you finding that you need to... Um, sort of bring people up to speed to the current state of e-commerce online in order to express how helpful you think your product is? Sure. I definitely think the farmers are savvy in that they understand the business case. They understand the workflow. They can describe the user story of what needs to be done, but it's really hard to translate that into actual technological execution and develop what they're describing. So they're savvy in the business sense, but uh, definitely slightly behind in terms of the technological sense. So we need to show them, hey, on an e-commerce platform, you can use the order management tool to have all your orders listed out and sort them by dates or sort them by region or sort them by customer. And you need not have stacks of papers or be using you know, paper and pencil to organize your orders, ordering system. You can use some of these really easy tools like order management, like uh, customer relationship management tool to handle some of these things that seem like they're such a headache. So there's a lot of things that the farmer is excellent in describing the what needs to happen, how the work process works, but in terms of understanding how they can use technology to accomplish that in a more efficient way is a difficult sell. It's hard to convince somebody, hey, use a computer to do something slightly faster than the way you've been doing it with a pen and paper and a fax machine for the past 30 years. I think that's the struggle that a lot of people have with a lot of things, not just farmers and selling chickens online. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's sort of bringing everybody into the into the 21st digital century. Aaron, do you, yeah. do you have some thoughts about efile.com? Well, what I will say is it, you guys definitely um, lay things out really nicely for someone who is a beginner, 
or interested in kind of learning more or starting down this chain, I will definitely point listeners to, to check out their FAQ section. I love that you guys talk about uh, vaccination issues, um, hatching seasons, and my, uh, you know, how to identify duck genders and how to deal with pasty butt. Um, that definitely <laughs> is, is pasty butt part of how you identify duck genders or no, is that a separate, separate thing? Separate. Okay. okay. Do I have pasty butt? No. I have a whole other thing to worry about now. Does my butt look pasty? No, 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 no. <laughs> um, and, and that too, um, you really kind of break down kind of how this delivery works. I think one of the things that Tech Byte listeners might be surprised to hear is that often when people are buying chicks to raise out for meat birds or for egg layers, that those chicks are coming in the mail. It- live. Live in the mail. Um, you open the box and they're live in the box mm-hmm. from the post office. <laughs> And I, I can. This de- is blowing my mind. <laughs> I definitely remember when I was up at Flying Pigs Farm the first time. I, I got a call from the little post office there, like, "Oh, your chicks are here." And I walked down into the little shop, and you could hear them in the back. And you go, and it's like you know, basically like a giant kind of shoebox filled with three hundred baby chicks, live, live baby chicks. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Um, well, I guess I'm curious um, about your kind of customer base. Um, you know, you guys list on the site that you are there to serve kind of small and medium size farms um, or people who are interested in doing like a smaller backyard operation. Um, what would be like a really like large customer um, and what would be like the smallest customer? You talk about kind of the efficiencies of ordering, like how does that uh, scale? Like what's the size of that scale for the folks who are kind of coming to use your services or that you anticipate well? Sure. Well, I appreciate you noticing our FAQ section because on the small side, we're really focusing focusing on educating the customer, making sure that they understand what they're getting into and what what types of supplies and resources that they need to have on hand. We want to be that educational resource first and foremost. And so the smaller customer is really what we're going to be catering to with that. And that's just going to be the backyard farmer or sometimes the urban farmer who just wants to have a hand in their food production. So they might just want to get three chickens that are going to lay in the backyard chicken coop and it's going to produce eggs every day. So that's going to be on the small side. And on the large side, we're going to be dealing with some of the uh, farms that are, you know, small organic farms or sustainable farms or family farms that have flocks of poultry. They want heritage breed poultry. They want to produce poultry that's kind of the way we did things, you know, 50 plus years ago rather than in the more modern over industrialized sense. And so we'll, we'll frequently have customers that are placing orders once a year to, uh, to create a flock that they're going to raise over the summer for a side income for their family farming enterprise. I remember uh, I have a distant relative who I read a journal entry of hers that was, I think, from the 40s, and she talks about how excited she was to go get her chicks from the post office in the early summer so that she could raise them up and earn an income for her family farming enterprise. So that's going to be the kind of smaller or medium-sized farming enterprise. We really don't cater to many larger-scale farming operations too much. That's just because we're not going to be the... We're not going to be the price competitive option for that sort of that scale of business. Yeah. We're much more focused on the on the smaller scale hobbyist or family farm, organic farm type of operation. 
Well, just it's it's worth noting, I think, on the smaller scale uh, family farm hobbyist front, um, one of the Heritage Radio Network hosts, Chef Emily Peterson, she has a very fun show called Sharp and Hot. She has a fun social media stream. Also, you can find her on Facebook and on Instagram at Chef Emily P. She recently, uh, I can't recall if it was the summer or earlier this fall, um, bought some live chicks, not from eFowl, from someplace else, but had you know video on Facebook of her unpacking her box of live chicks that she'll be raising up on her her uh, farm home property that she has in New Jersey. So that was like my first experience of seeing somebody <laughs> opening a box of live chicks from the mail, from, from the, the mail. mail, again, from the mail. <laughs> well, I, I definitely have to give you guys kudos because I feel like you, um, you guys really nicely outlined um, a lot of the primary issues that I really saw when I was first learning about um, laying hens and, and meat birds and things to kind of think about and, and be aware of. And so I think it's a really great site for someone who a wants to maybe just do a little research, but then also when you're like ready to start your kind of small scale operation, it's a really nice kind of like one-stop shop. And I think when you're just to kind of clarify in terms of scale, I mean, a small scale, uh, you know, pasture operation could be purchasing at like at, at the farm I worked at, we had a thousand laying hens and we raised over the course of the summer, 600 meat birds. And that's like super tiny. You look at kind of large scale, you know, poultry operations and you're looking at hundreds of thousands of birds coming in on a, on a daily basis or hatching out on a daily basis. So it's nice to have something that's a real entry point and is really spreading that message of heritage breeds and genetic diversity and learning about agriculture and like having something that folks can really connect to. I thought it was super cool. Well, thank you, Austin. I want to thank you for phoning in. It was really, it's a, such an interesting thing. Um, and really one of the interesting cross sections of food and tech, because this is like super low tech analog tech. I mean, a chicken laying an egg is about as, as low tech <laughs> as you can get and then ordering them online. Um, and Aaron, for, for staying with us as our farm expert, <laughs> we're going to take a little break. And when we come back, we are going to have the ham portion of the show. Stay with us. And this one is called Torchlight by Rectech. We'll be right back. about New York's farmers. That's why we've developed the New York State Grown and Certified Program. It's a seal New Yorkers can look for when they're shopping for food that comes from local farms. Customers are more likely to buy food that has the New York State Grown and Certified seal because it tells them that it comes from a farm that follows environmentally responsible, farm-safe protocols. In other words, the New York State Grown and Certified seal tells them their food is grown right, right here in New York State. You're a farmer with a lot to do, but the time it takes to sign up for the program is a great investment for your business because it lets shoppers know that your food meets higher standards, has passed assessments, 
and is produced by environmentally friendly farming practices. To learn about participating in the program, go to certified.ny.gov. If you're just joining us and you're wondering what the hell you clicked on, this is Tech Bytes, the weekly radio show on the Heritage Radio Network, where we talk about the intersection of food and technology. And today we have a show called Ham and Eggs. First half of the show was a fun heritage breed poultry online ordering platform called eFowl.com, where if you're interested in buying some live heritage breed chicks and having them shipped live to you in the mail <laughs> this is the place to go I'm still a little weirded out by opening a box of live chicks <laughs> um i don't know if i'll ever get over it but anyway that was our eggs and now as promised we have ham in studio with us we have a very rare visit from ronnie and beth dernan um they're in from kentucky they are the owners of the very well-known Broadbent hams. Um, you may have heard of them because they have sold ham on char- at charity auctions upwards of $1.6 million. I heard recently you sold one for $2 million. Uh, Yes, ma'am. That's amazing. A single ham? Yes, yes charity ma'am. auction. You got it. We have to get one of these million-dollar hams for the Heritage Radio Network Charity Network. Buzz auction this fall. <laughs> They're also um, fairly well-known in the... Uh, super foodie circles ever since a little chef by the name of Dave Chang put their ham on his American ham plate at Momofuku Sambar a few years ago. Um, And that led to just a a maelstrom of articles and notoriety and things like that. So we're really excited to have them here. Um, Their company is over 100 years old and they have been doing mail order for about 50 and you know, it's really amazing the things you can go online and buy today. Live chicks and ham. <laughs> <laughs> we got your breakfast covered. <laughs> got your breakfast covered. So, Ronnie um, Ronnie and Beth, thank you very much for being here. This is actually their first stop uh, in New York City. Bushwick, Brooklyn, actually. Um, tell, us, tell us about your mail order business. Has the Internet really changed the way things work for you from the days when it was a, a, just a mail paper catalog? Well, when we bought the company, we didn't have a mail order. Um, we didn't have a website. So that was the first one of our first things we did was put up a website. When did you buy the company? We bought it in 1999. And that was actually kind of the beginning of the Internet. Mm-hmm. It was. And so our, our business now is very much geared toward the Internet rather than calling in on the phone, which is wonderful for us because uh, it's much easier to process an order in that manner. But we have a big portion of the orders that come in that way. Probably 75% of our mail order come in through the Internet. Now, 
You really hand make all your hams, and how, how long does it take to make a ham? Well, we won't sell any ham before six months. Six months. And we love to have them at nine months for our regular country ham, but some of the chefs and the other people want some hams that's even a year to 18 months old, and we keep them for some of the chefs. So it takes a long time to make the product. I'm assuming that you don't have, it's not like a factory machine where you can just crank up the machine and make more. You <laughs> probably have a set amount that you make from month to month. Can Do you even need to sell that much more online? Because I'm assuming you have like a finite production of what you make because it is so specialized and, and handmade and takes so long. Uh, well, if we sold a whole lot more, we would have to add on. Okay. You're always projecting. It sounds like at a minimum you have to be, what, six six months ahead of wherever you're at. So I, I feel like, too, in the in especially in the retail space, you get, like, one big article in a great publication or someone talks about you or a new chef puts on, and then, you know, you're like, hurry up and wait, guys. It, it's hard to project because, uh, you know, we try to project a growth every year at Christmas, but... Uh, you know we don't we don't want to grow too fast our quality is our number one objective you know we don't want to uh lower our quality to get more hams out so that's uh, uh where we're at did you think that the internet has really increased your business or the demand for your hams just between the articles and the ability of people to order online do you think your business would have grown as fast or become as famous if you didn't have the internet mm. that's a hard question to answer because we did we just started with the internet basically when we bought the company so we pretty much had it you know within four or five months we had internet so so we had a website so that's a hard for us to know, it's hard to tell how it was beforehand. But any article that you get that somebody else writes is better than us advertising. When somebody says your products is good, it's better for them to say it than it is for us to say it. Do you ever see a spike in the ordering or the traffic on your website and not know why or where it's coming from? And then discover an article somewhere or something like yes, that? Yes, we'll do that. We'll have... Um, you know, sometimes the phones will just start ringing and people ordering and they'll say, well, we saw you here. We saw you there. So, you know, you'll usually figure it out pretty quickly because they'll call in as well. So now you have a you have a Facebook page for broadband hams and you have a website, um, but you don't have any of the other social media. We started off the show. We were talking about Instagram stories. You know, we have Twitter, we have Snapchat and all those kinds of things. Have you, are you interested in them, not interested? We have Twitter. Um, it's not, not nearly as active as our Facebook. It's, it's a slower process getting a few of those going. But our Facebook caught on really fast when we put that up a few years ago. I feel like we might need to explain to people what a country ham is. Oh, please, please do. <laughs> I'm not going to do it. Yes. <laughs> Ronnie, I'm looking at yep. you. Yep. <laughs> I've had the country ham. <laughs> Me at too. The aforementioned Momofuku Sambar. I'm like, the world country needs ham to know. With the bread and the red eye gravy mustard, which is amazing. So um, I'm, I was actually, you know, secretly hoping that, you know, 
Beth was going to open up her purse and you know put down <laughs> put down some ham. I kind of didn't want to ask, but I was secretly like, I wonder if we're going to have ham on the show. <laughs> well, if you get technical with the USDA, to be a country ham, it has to be four percent salt. It has to lose eighteen percent of its green weight when it comes in. And then, of course, you, it has to have a water activity of less than 9.2. What is green weight? That's the weight of the ham when it comes fresh from right off the kill plant or the kill. So it still has all, like, the juices and the moisture in it. Mm-hmm. And then through the smoking and aging process, it's going to lose some of that water and moisture and get lighter, I'm assuming. Yeah, right. right. We take the water out uh, in the country ham, yes. So that's the USDA definition. Do you have a different definition, or is there a, a different definition that goes back from you know to 1904 when broadbent first started? Well, you know, in the even the settlers they made country ham. You know, if it comes from overseas, they call it prosciutto. Right. Prosciutto is dry cured ham, and from Italy typically. And, and uh, country ham is dry cured ham. Uh, they may do some things different, but even in the country ham business, every company will do a little something different to make their ham just a little different from the other producer. So, the, what type of what types of differences? More moisture, less more salt, the smoke. Give what, us your secrets, yeah. or or just <laughs> potentially what the secrets might be. Well, you know, uh, some of them use white salt, some of them use brown sugar. Uh, I mean white sugar and some use brown sugar we use dry honey i don't know of anybody that uses dry honey in their rub other than us dry honey do you just spread it out and let it dry so it gets like powdery or we buy it already powdery and uh we mix it with our salt and sugar and in our mix as we and uh that sounds delicious and uh uh you know some of them have different uh lengths of time they age them at different temperatures and uh so every company is just a little different. And how, I'm assuming, the the pork that you start with is also probably a pretty important decision that you make. It, it and is. And that probably varies from producer to producer it, as well. It does. Uh, and being small, the smaller you are, the less options you have. Uh, because if you don't buy a semi-load, a lot of the bigger plants don't want to deliver to you so that you know can be a problem how many hams are on a semi-load and are you considered small (laughs) yes we're considered very small uh on a semi-load if you if you bought the whole load you're probably looking at around uh close to two thousand hams Cool. Yeah, I think it's always just, I, I find like the words like small and medium and large, I'm like, I don't know what that means. So I'm like, I'm like all right, a thousand hams is like a, is like a, would be a, a full semi load. Awesome. Um, and it's like a small community of folks. I mean, it's not like I, if I go and search online, I'm not pulling up thousands of country ham producers. No, there's, you know, the country ham producers uh, in Kentucky used to ever farmer in kentucky almost cured hams for themselves for themselves or family and uh you know they would actually sell them to the grocery stores of course you know over the years the usda stopped a lot of that and uh, a lot of the 
farmers and older country ham people are, are going out of business. They built these ham houses right in the middle of their farm because it was, you know, during the winter times when they couldn't farm, so they made hams and sold them. So a lot of them has, uh, over the years, gone out of business because they didn't want to sell their business, ham business because it was right in the middle of their farm. Oh, well, I was just kind of coming back to some of the kind of technology, which is, you know, the theme of, of Jen's program. When you're thinking about, I mean, you've mentioned the USDA a couple of times. Um, there's such a huge focus in today's food system on, on food safety. And when you're doing an artisanal product, product when you're doing a product that is aged, um, you know, some of that stuff is like the USDA definition of like, what is it? You're like 4% of this and 18% of that. And, um, you're, you know, you're obviously lots of eyes on you. What are, has the technology of like how you make your ham or how your production is being regulated changed? Um, and, and do you see that impacting kind of the opportunities for kind of quality or flavor or any of those other features? It, it hasn't changed too. The biggest thing they want is, you know, you have to document and record keep so much uh, of what you're doing. Uh, but as far as, you know, what goes into it, they haven't regulated that. But country ham is such a unique creature. Yeah. They really don't know where to put it. It You know, yeah. it, it don't fit in with so many of the products that, the you know, and they don't have a category by itself. So some of the regulations they try to push on the country ham it's uh is because of you know other products and they just don't have a good category for country ham and, and a lot of people don't understand that you can make a product that doesn't have to be refrigerated yeah i think there's like a lot of you know threats to that kind of production. the usda has a lot of issues with things not being refrigerated i mean can we talk about the cheese and the eggs and <laughs> all those things if you've ever spent any time in europe france there's a lot of stuff that's not refrigerated, and everybody seems to be just fine. I always know one of the first things that I noticed, I lived in France for a few years, is that when you go to the grocery store, the eggs are on a pallet in the middle of the dairy section. They're not in the refrigerator case. You know, Likewise, there's a lot of cheese and ham and dried sausage and things like that that are just sitting there, just sitting there. How do you measure the percentage of salt like if you're like okay we have to get at four percent like you're not like licking the back of your finger and touching the, you know like what's the what are the tools for that well when we when we get hams in of course i know the weight of that combo of hams and then i mix it in uh into so many pounds of a batch and i have an idea this so many pounds of this salt's going to do this this many hams right so there's like an in and out yeah yeah so they're not coming through with like a spectrometer i think that's for like sugar i think but like there's not like a salt version of that i was curious about that too yeah. i was going to use that word too <laughs> well you know a lot of country ham has a higher salt content than four percent but if you get under four percent you're uh it's probably going to spoil you know uh if you didn't keep it refrigerated if you vacuum packed it put it in the grocery store unrefrigerated with under four percent salt probably in 
it's a few be weeks that sad package, Christmas morning. <laughs> that package would probably start to puff up. Right. Well, the thing I I think that a lot of people forget, or maybe didn't even realize from the beginning, is that a lot of these cooking processes, like making ham, smoking, drying, salting. Um, those were all things that people did before we had the refrigeration as a way of preserving food to keep it for a long time, um, in addition to just making things be delicious. Um, and I, I don't know if that information has been lost or the idea of that has been lost or we've lost faith in that or people didn't know. But, I mean, ham was made to be ham so you could keep it. They had to keep it because they didn't have refrigeration. Exactly, exactly. Somewhere along the way, we we forgot the things that we did and that we knew at the very beginning. One of my 4-H students, we have about 60 of those that cure hams in our plant for a project each year. And one of them, in a speech, uh, used the illustration that there was, before refrigeration, before electricity, there was only ham. There was not country ham because there was no other kind of ham. Country ham was it, so there was not the term country ham. It was just ham. Yeah, well, those are all good things to think about. I'm still thinking about having the ham. Well, yeah, so I actually, for folks who've never tasted a country ham, I know that you guys are doing an event tonight at the Brooklyn Kitchen, so if folks are out there listening, um, you know, they can, what, tweet us, text us, get in touch. We can um, get... We have some free passes for Tech Bite listeners. Woo! But, free passes. Uh, but if you're, if Brooklyn you're, <laughs> Kitchen tonight. If you're not local to the area, can you talk a little bit about like what the ham tastes like, or like what are some flavor notes, or how when you as someone who's tasted ham for years and years, like how do you know you got a really special one? How do I know it's worth 1.6 million dollars? <laughs> <laughs> that was a 16 pound ham, and I think it was in 2014, was it? 2014 was the $2 million ham. Okay. And then I think 2011 or 12 was the $1.6 million. This year in 2016, it was a $600,000 ham. Oh, interesting. <laughs> That's a sign of the times, perhaps. Well, they, in the other times, they had two bidders went together, and each one of them oh. would give a million dollars each for the $2 million. And, uh, and this year, it was just one bidder. We need to get one of those hams for the Heritage Radio Network charity yeah, what, buzz auction what, at the end of the year. What is the lucky uh, uh, organization that got the big check? It was an organization that the, of the bidder's choice. You know, oh, they really? Go, it go, and this year it, it went to six different charities wow. that, he, that they wanted to give it to. That is so cool. It's amazing. <laughs> really amazing. Um, at the end of each show, and unfortunately, we're already to the end of the show, uh, which is sad because I feel like we could sit here and talk about ham and, and original recipes for a long time. I always do like to ask all my guests for a little piece of advice that my listeners can use at home in real life. So, you know, we eat a lot of ham in the U.S., ham and eggs, ham sandwich, you know, ham and cheese. What do you say the best way is to serve a country ham what's the best way to eat country ham well i guess it depends upon what part of the country you come from uh more here in the new york they like it the prosciutto style 
Where we come from, everybody fries it. Fries it? <laughs> Is that a deep fry or a pan fry? It's a pan fry. with, or Put it in water or Coke or coffee and, and, and fry it. Uh, the biggest thing on country ham is not to overcook it. Okay. Wow. We also slow cook hams and sell them that way. Uh, we slow cook them overnight in water, and then we slice them really paper thin, and and uh, we sell them that way as well. We sell a lot that way. And maybe they even sold some now because people listening probably want to try, like, try that. Like, yes, 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 please. I'd like, I'd <laughs> like some of that fried ham right now. Um, <laughs> if you would like to get your hands on some Broadbent hams, it is broadbentham.com. You can find them online. If you're in Brooklyn and New York City area, you can find them tonight at the Brooklyn Kitchen. Yeah. That is online. Tickets are online. Um, it should be a great event with a lot of ham. <laughs> if you love radio and you love this show, go to heritageradionetwork.org, click on the beating heart, and give us, you know, maybe what you spent on coffee today. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 charity. We sustain ourselves and keep the lights on because of the love and contributions of our listeners, our underwriters, and our partners. If you go to the beating heart, click on it, click the drop down menu to Tech Bytes with your donation, I will send you the Potluck PDF cookbook. I hope you come back and see us next Thursday at 11 a.m. I'm Jennifer Leutzi, and this is Tech Bytes. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.